Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus. This is episode 269. We are going to call it Molotov Monday. Yes, for the Molotov cocktail. Because essentially, after this episode, uh, I believe that a good number of people will believe that's exactly what I've done. Throwing a Molotov cocktail. Coming out on September the 26th. In case you haven't noticed or haven't seen before I get in, let me give you a moment. Subscribe, share, comment, like, all that good stuff for the show. As we continue to grow, we're closing in on 20K downloads. But as we continue to grow, we can get the message out and we can let our friends, our family know that we want the Constitution to be enforced. We want to protect individuals' liberties. We want Texas to be strong. In order to do that, we have to uh, get off our butts, get involved, and quite frankly, support the right people for the offices that are open to us. And we need to be patient and methodical and strategic in how we deploy our efforts. And I am uh, just saying that as a observer, <laughs> I have very little personal control over what everybody else does. And quite frankly, that's the way it should be. And speaking of having very little control over what other people do, in case you aren't aware, uh, Prosper ISD hid the fact that they had a molester working on the school bus and while this is all quote-unquote alleged at this time because it has not been properly adjudicated, the issue is less that we had somebody that allegedly hurt little girls or little boys. I, I don't know all the details, and quite frankly, it's kind of out of my scope. But the school district is actually claiming that due to qualified immunity or limited immunity, if you prefer, you, they can't be held responsible for what happened. It's not their fault, and even if it is their fault, we can't do anything about it. Well, I, for one, am very, very tired of hearing that. Now, it was one thing when the police would say, well, you know, you can't sue us if we do things that fall within the guidelines of our job. Okay, fine. I I, I really struggle with that, and a friend of mine who is no longer with us, said, well, Stephen, if you're going to go after qualified immunity or limited immunity, you need to remove it from everybody. Nobody should have that. And when I did just a modicum of research on this, I found out that SCOTUS, for those of you that don't know, Supreme Court of the United States, basically dreamed this up on their own. And now we have it everywhere. Now, it used to be once upon a time, when you were abused by government, whether it was law enforcement, code enforcement, or just bad actors that had government jobs, you could go after them in the state courts. And because you had that uh, recourse, there was no need to go to federal court. Unfortunately, the states have made it so difficult and so challenging to hold people accountable for abuse of power, for overstepping their authority, that you have to go to the federal level. But when you go to the federal level, it's even harder because the feds don't care. They're the ones that dreamed up this idea. So I 
when I was doing my bare minimum of research here, I ran across the ABA, AmericanBar.org. They have an article from December 17th of 2020 labeled Qualified Immunity. And I haven't, I'm not going to read the whole article. That would not be uh, useful to us, right? But I'm going to just take some highlights out of this. The first thing they do is, quote, uh, Justice John Marshall from his uh, Marbury versus Madison uh, opinion. And what's interesting to me is Marbury versus Madison actually is pretty strong on limiting government in a lot of different ways. But the the flip side of that is it established this whole idea where SCOTUS gets to stick their nose in a whole bunch of different things that really, quite frankly, they never had the authority to do. So, in any case, the government of the United States has empathetically termed a government of laws and not of men. It will certainly cease to deserve this high appellation if the laws furnish no remedy for violation of a vested legal right. So, let me translate that for those of you who are having the eyes roll in the back of your head. Basically, uh, the United States is considered to be a good government because it's governed by laws and not individual people. But that will cease to be the case if there is no remedy for individual rights to be protected. Pretty, uh, pretty simple. It goes on to say, or it actually briefly mentions uh, John, or I'm sorry, James Madison's uh, comment that it's a parchment barrier, right? And let's see here, what's the next part? Okay. So accountability has become a top priority for anyone interested in criminal justice reform. Now, a few years ago, the summer of love, 2020, Criminal justice reform was brought back to the forefront of everybody's attention. I would say that the cause was largely in a couple of occurrences that were blown way out of proportion. Personally, that's my opinion. But whether those were legitimate cause belly, if you will, or a reason to fight, the issue never went away and it should have been addressed many, many years ago. Because what has happened is it's engendered these actions or these laws or these opinions from the courts, a culture of near zero accountability in many cases. And by far, the most significant is the qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is a, and I'm back in the article again, is a judicial doctrine created by a Supreme Court that shields state actors from liability for their misconduct, even when they break the law. Listen to that. So, and again, it's really easy to beat up on the police. And I've acknowledged many, many times, I have plenty of friends, family, you know, acquaintances, whatever, that are in law enforcement. I would not want their job. It is, I'm sure, just full of problems. That being said, if they're able to have cover when they break the law that they're sworn to uphold, that's a problem. So under this doctrine, government agents, including but not limited to police officers, not limited, can never be sued for violating someone's civil rights unless they established, or I'm sorry, they violated clearly established law, which is a malleable standard 
and it requires civil rights plaintiffs to show not just a clear legal rule, but a prior case which functionally with functionally identical facts. So basically, they're going to just keep finding the exception to the rule to find an excuse to never hold these people accountable. So you can hold that the agents did violate somebody's rights, but that they have no legal remedy because no precise sort of misconduct had occurred in past cases. Think about that. So unless something exactly the same had happened previously, you can't do anything about it. Well, that means that nothing is ever going to be addressed by the courts because they have no doctrine to work off of. Ridiculous. Even Don Willett. Okay. Now, what's what's interesting here is the ABA, who is really not a conservative organization at all, is basically quoting people that are right of center. So Don Willett, a federal judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, to some observers, qualified immunity smacks of unqualified impunity, letting public officials duck consequences for bad behavior, no matter how palpably unreasonable, as long as they were the first to behave badly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, what world are we living in? I know this smacks of the rules for thee, rules for we, right? And... And it's not just law enforcement. That's what everybody misses. It's not just law enforcement. And a little bit later on here, let me see if I can find it real quick. They um, they quote uh, Gorsuch, a current member of the SCOTUS. And uh, man, they just they they they've got a number of different things that they lay out where. These are problems, and because there isn't anything directly related to this in the past, that these people get away with it, is what it boils down to. They just get away with it. And uh, I'm going to go back and find Gorsuch later. So, they say, SCOTUS, that this is based on a common law situation. That's where they came up with this. But the problem is, and this again back in the article... As a historical matter, the 19th century common law did not actually include anything for this across-the-board defense for all public officials that characterized modern qualified immunity. Will Baud, and I don't know who this guy is, but he's a Chicago Law School professor, probably not right of center, but demonstrates that the background legal rule in both the founding era and throughout the 19th century was strict liability for government agents who committed constitutional violations. In other words, if a government agent was sued for the harm they caused over the course of carrying out their duties, it was no defense to say that they believed they were acting lawfully. Okay, so now this is the case. Back then, you couldn't say I believed I was doing the right thing. In other words, it was the ignorance of the law wasn't an excuse, right? They used that on us all the time. I mean, every agent... The first thing they said, well, just because you thought you were following the law doesn't mean it's okay. So, but it does if you have this immunity, huh? There were certain good faith defenses in the 19th century common law. Good faith was generally only relevant when a lack of good faith was an element of a particular claim. For example, at common law, if someone brought a false arrest suit against an officer, they had to show the officer wasn't acting in good faith. And that was part of the common law element for a false arrest claim because good faith was a general defense for all public officials. 
Okay. So now it transitions to somebody by the name of Scott Keller, who is a former solicitor general of Texas, who argues that there is quasi-judicial immunity unless they acted with malice or bad faith. So it's basically the opposite of it. And he argues this sort of immunity only protected quasi-judicial acts like election administration and tax assessment, not at ordinary acts of law enforcement. And he says that this can't that the 19th century common law can't justify modern qualified immunity. And because qualified immunity today is not a good faith defense. Okay, so what they're saying is is they've turned it on its head, if you will. <laughs> and again, th- this is this is what we're dealing with, folks. There are two sets of rules. There's one for government elected officials and one for government agents, and then for the rest of us. So, again, going back to the uh, thing I started out with, the city of Prosper hid the fact that they had a child molester, or let me rephrase it, an accused or alleged child molester on a school bus from the parents who put their kids on the school bus because they were protecting the school district. Their job is not to protect the school district, but to take care of the children. But again, they're going to get a free pass, more than likely. Now, we can vote them out. We can remove them. We can force the superintendent to resign. But all those people are going to sail off into the sunset. There's going to be no negative consequence for their behavior. Now, the bus driver probably ought to have a consequence along the lines of, well, use your own imagination. But my real problem is, is how do we deal with the people that were in the chain of command that knew what happened and did nothing about it? Now, in the military, if an officer allows or encourages or hides actions from an enlistment under their command, they're held to a higher standard as an officer. They are going to face a stiffer consequence potentially. But I imagine the superintendent or the other personnel in this chain of command are probably just going to sail off into the sunset with a great big fat check of severance. Or maybe they'll go get another gig in a neighboring school district as if nothing ever happened. So I've, I've got to ask myself, how did we allow this to happen? How is it that in the state of Texas, we are more concerned about protecting the bureaucracy than the individual rights? How is it that we're more interested in protecting molesters than the children? How is it in the state of Texas that we have no recourse? You, you take something before the courts and they say to you, well... First, you have to prove that somebody did a bad thing. And not only do you have to prove that they did a bad thing, there has to be evidence that there is a previous case that offers a remedy that's almost exactly the same. Now, it seems like a very much a nice escape for responsibility. And unfortunately, the courts go along with this. So our remedies are throw all the bums out, right? And as fun and easy as that sounds, it's not. It's not. It's it's very challenging. Incumbents are near impossible to remove. And it doesn't matter if they've got an R after their name or a D after their name. Once they're elected, and the way they district in every state, not just Texas, 
is to make the vast majority of the seats safe seats. So you have people that hide money in their freezer. You have people that hang out with prostitutes. You have people that, uh, you know, do drunk driving and nothing ever happens to them because it's a safe seat. And those people there want that person there and they just turn a blind eye. Now, one would hope that in the outcome of the summer of love, even though some of them are bad facts, some of them are murky at best as far as legitimate problems, but one would hope that the outcome, that the the changes or the improvements would reel some of this in. But that's at the federal level. And and the federal level is not supposed to be the recourse we seek. That's not supposed to be the direction we take. If a local official is abusing power, you're supposed to be able to remedy that in the state court. Well, the problem is, again, the states protect everybody, including themselves. So when you go to the federal level, you're giving them de facto power they ought not have in the first place by going to them. It works to nobody's benefit to do that. It undermines the entire issue of state power versus federal power. Oh, and uh, incidentally, at the end of the article, it mentions that the author, Jay Sherwick, S-C-H-W-E-I-K-E-R-T, is a policy analyst with the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice. Now, Cato would be a soft libertarian group. So that would explain <laughs> the vast majority of this article. Uh, I guess probably would have helped to read the whole thing through before I started to do this. But I, I got the imi- initial information I wanted from the first couple paragraphs and away we went. <sighs> I got to go back and find this Gorsuch, Gorsuch quote. Now, Chris Ann Hall has often said he's our best, most constitutionally aligned uh, justice in the Supreme Court. So, it was uh, especially appealing to me when they did that. And unfortunately, now I am having a challenge finding it. But now that I've, I've wrapped up the key points I wanted to take from the article, and if I should uh, find it while I'm talking, I will be glad to go back and read you. The idea here is we, the people, are stuck with a situation of dealing with a state government that has sought to protect all levels of government from the very people they're supposed to be serving. Think about that. Now, again, I will grant that law enforcement probably has some sort of need for protections because I could see where you would have a lot of nuisance lawsuits. I'll grant you that. I've got a probable solution, okay? But I'm going to grant you that. But explain to me, why is it a code enforcement officer needs immunity? Explain to me, why is it the principals and a superintendent need that liability? I mean, if they're actually doing their jobs and they're looking out for the people they're supposed to be serving, there should never, ever be a problem. There shouldn't. And one of the interesting things is, when it's unclear, in other words, there's not a policy dictating what's supposed to be done, apparently that doesn't allow for recourse either. 
So there is multiple layers of protection for bad behavior for people that are supposed to be working for us. Now, it makes it very hard to hold anybody accountable when there's no means to hold them accountable. Now, at a certain point, at a certain point, it could very much lead to things that I don't even want to think about. People will eventually get tired of putting up with this stuff. They're going to do something that uh, I cannot encourage. I don't think is a good idea, but it's going to happen. I mean, the people, they talk about the wild, wild west, right? People solve things with duels back in the day. Well, people were polite back then. People didn't abuse children and get away with it back then. People didn't steal from other people without having to face a consequence. People didn't do a lot of this stuff that is now apparently just a-okay. And one of the other cases here that is referenced in this article is something Chris Ann Hall had brought up on more than one occasion, wherein a city, I want to say it was Fresno in California, stole over $200,000 worth of guy's coins when they um, executed a search warrant on his house. And then when they returned his stuff, $225,000 worth of cash and rare coins were missing. And the courts found that, well, because they weren't told it was illegal to steal, we're not going to hold them accountable because there's not a prior case (laughs) involving such outlandishly illegal misconduct. So they received their qualified immunity. Well, I want to know why that specific case couldn't have been used for the purposes of determining whether or not that was wrong. I don't understand that. I don't don't understand why we, I don't know why we tolerate it. I really don't. So we're left with the real possibility that we're going to have to have SCOTUS weigh in on this. And it's really sad. I mean, I would hope, I would hope that the Court of Criminal Appeals the Texas Supreme Court, or both of them, would have the fortitude to do the right thing and stop this, to end this, to to not tolerate this in the state of Texas. I mean, it doesn't seem to me to be that hard to see how this abuse is spread. And we, we, the people, apparently have no recourse. Now, there is recourse, but it's very messy. (laughs) And it will start something that, quite frankly, none of us want to be caught in the middle of. For those of you that are picking up what I'm putting down, don't even say it. Don't go there. It's a bad idea. Short of that, we need to replace these people. We need to force their hand. We need to get rid of them. If you've got a superintendent in your school district that's more interested in protecting his bureaucracy, that's more interested in expanding his bureaucracy than, oh, I don't know, taking care of the children that are under his charge, uh, they need to go away. They need to be sent packing. If you've got a school district or city council that protects bad behavior on any of the 
people that are under their charge. They need to go. Oh, here I go. Um, there was another article uh, in the Institute for Justice uh, labeled 50 Shades of Government Immunity. This is where I saw the Gorsuch uh, comment on. In 2015, Judge Justice Gorsuch, then a judge on the lower federal court of appeals, resolved the choice. Okay, this is talking about you can either sue for violations of Fourth Amendment federal law or you could sue in a state court under state law. Okay, that's the underlying issue there. He said, in a concurring opinion involving recklessness, reckless driving by a police officer, Common law usually supplies a sound remedy when life, liberty, and property are taken. Often there's no need to turn to federal courts and common law into common law courts when we have those state courts ready and willing to vindicate those same rights using a deep and rich common law that's been battle-tested through the centuries. Then it goes on to say that there's so many carve-outs and so, levels, so many levels of immunity that there was no option for them to adequately get that addressed in Arkansas State. They reference the idea that Justice Gorsuch is correct, that state governments once stood ready and willing to vindicate rights, but today most of them no longer do. And then it goes on to say only eight states have civil rights statutes, usually bogged down by immunities. Only 15 states allow suits directly under their state constitutions, but those claims often die based on confusing case law and immunities. And while most states allow for limited tort claims against government officials, they are riddled with exceptions, immunities, which make it extremely difficult for victims of government abuse to prevail. So uh, that's just two articles. The first two articles have popped up talking about it. And these are people that are generally right of center or quasi-libertarian. They're calling it out. And it's my people, my people right of center that default answer that we have to protect those that protect us. But they fail to recognize that in many, many cases, the people that are charged and took an oath to protect us and to protect our liberties and protect the Constitution are, in fact, not doing it. They're doing the exact opposite. And they need to get moved past this knee-jerk reaction, this instant reaction protection that they offer these people they're abusing this and we do nothing about it now my probable solution in the remaining four or five minutes i don't know how this would apply but i'm just going to take the easiest lowest hanging fruit if you and i might have mentioned this in past because this has been a reoccurring theme in my show If you work for a police department, you're in law enforcement, more than likely you either belong to a police association or a police union. Most places in Texas do not allow for union shop. We are a right to work state. So it's extremely difficult for unions to get launched in the state. They have associations, which essentially are the same thing, but a different name. My suggestion is, rather than the city being charged with paying out when you guys in law enforcement exceed your authority or make a mistake or abuse power, you find it hard to hold your own accountable. We'll just start with that. But 
rather than put that all off on you, rather than put that off on the city, which means we the taxpayers, I would suggest that if you work in law enforcement, you're required to buy insurance for this. And you can do it through your police association or your police unions that they would group by so it would be less expensive. In return, instead of paying whatever it is we pay, and I've heard varying numbers, but let's just say it's $50,000 a year. I don't know if that is or isn't. Don't care. For the purposes of this demonstration, I propose we're going to give you a 20% pay raise. Why not? Maybe 10% is all that's needed. I, I have no idea. But we're going to give you a healthy pay raise. And that pay raise then makes it your responsibility to buy your own insurance. So you can do it through your police association, you can do it through your police union, or you can buy it yourself. And if and when you should be sued, your insurance kicks in. It's no longer the city's responsibility. In fact, the city will wash their hands immediately. And the only time the city would get involved in any kind of suit of abuse is if you have a policy in place that authorized abusive behavior, that protected abusive behavior. Then and only then can they come after the city. The reason being is it only takes one lawsuit of, I don't know, $5 million to bankrupt a city or near bankrupt a city. But if the police association or union is carrying their insurance, and I mean, the law is already written, you have a, a liability limit. This is all you can sue for beyond that. So if you encode that for this across the board for this insurance, unless it's some particularly egregious thing, and I can't think of something at the moment, but just for the purpose of the discussion, you can buy insurance. You know how much that insurance is going to be. Your extra money you're getting paid is going towards that insurance. You're accepting responsibility for your behavior when you're out in the field acting under your authority and under the rules given to you. And I, or we, the taxpayers, are no longer responsible for your bad behavior. And I I know the city doesn't care. They like to settle this because, hey, it's insurance. And it's the taxpayer's money. And it doesn't affect anybody. But I wonder if it was going to be coming out of, well, I don't know, the city council's pocket. Or the police chief's pocket. If they might pay attention to it then. I'm wondering if maybe that the mayor was held personally responsibility or the individual city council members were held responsible for this stuff that goes on, if they might put a stop to it. I just I just wonder. I mean, I, I know they're granted immunity right now, but if they were to take that away, or, I don't know, code enforcement officials, they abuse their power from time to time, don't they? Well, if they're abusing their power and they get sued... Because we take away that qualified immunity, maybe there'll be less abuse. Just saying. We have created two classes of people. Our rules and their enforcers, and then we the people. And we the people are supposed to have the authority. We're supposed to have the power. But we have allowed these people to write the rules in such a way that they hold all the cards. And what I'm going to suggest to you is short of the unmentionable, we need to force a change of the law. We need to force a change of the people that represent us. And it just so happens that tomorrow's episode is going to deal with that very issue. 
So, <laughs> hey, again, one last time. If you're in law enforcement, this is less about you good cops than it is about the oath-breaking pieces of garbage that you guys are forced to protect because of that thin blue line. If you think that I'm attacking or hating on you, you haven't been listening to me. I have my family riddled with people that have worked in law enforcement or city or county. And I have respect for the people that go there and do a good job and actually serve the public. Those are the people we want. But when you guys are put in a position where you're protecting those that are garbage, that's not what's best for you. And you got to be willing to speak out about it. And you got to be willing to do the right thing, even when it costs you. But I would prefer that you're never put in that position in the first place. I would prefer that there were other remedies because good guys that wear a uniform are the ones we want and we want to protect them. The ones that are not, they need to be run out of town on a rail. And quite frankly, a lot of them need to be serving time. With that, this was According to Callus. This is, or actually technically was, episode 269. It was a Molotov Monday. And until tomorrow, I will see you on the other side.